Hi, I'm Mitch Casper, and welcome to WinnipegHockeyTalk.com's Random Thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets, the audio version. Good morning, Jets fans, and today we'll be looking at my random thoughts for March 6th. We'll start off with number one. Well, the NHL trade deadline has come and gone, and the Winnipeg Jets made two trades, acquiring Nino Niederreiter and Vladislav Domestikov. It wasn't the all-in most Jets fans were hoping for, but Chevy added two nice pieces to the lineup without selling the farm. If I had to give him a grade on this deadline, I'd give him a C+. But before we move on, I wanted to address a couple of the poll questions we had last week. In the first poll question, I asked the Jets fans, how many trades do you think Chevy will make? 44% said one or two, and 44% said two or three. So basically, 88% of the people thought that he would make around two trades, which was correct. In our second poll question, we asked, do you think Vili Hainola will be a Winnipeg Jet after the trade deadline? And the results of this poll really surprised me. 65% said no. So that tells me that uh, that 65% figured that Jets were going to make a big trade and Vili Hainola was going to be a big part of it, but... He remains a Winnipeg Jet slash Manitoba Moose for now. And I'm not saying the Jets won't trade him. He could be traded in the offseason in a bigger deal. But don't be surprised if we see Villy in training camp this fall. Let's move on to number two. The Winnipeg Jets managed three important points last week. And they ended their losing streak at five games after beating Edmonton on Saturday night 7-5. to Their record now sits at 36-25-2 and they currently sit in the second wildcard spot. Let's move on to number three. In my opinion, Kevin Sheveldayoff made a sneaky good trade in acquiring Vladislav Domestikov from San Jose, but a misleading tweet got Twitter into a negative frenzy when one of our mainstream media reported his numbers and then called him a defensive forward. And then that's where the Chevy hate started. For the record, I'm not a Kevin Sheveldayoff hater, and I'm certainly not a Kevin Sheveldayoff apologist, but I will give credit where credit is due, and I'll tear him a new one if it's needed as well. Vladislav Domestikov has a good skill set. He has grind in his game. He can play center, and he can play in the top six if needed, although on this team I see him slotting in as a third-line winger. I'll read you some of the responses that were on Twitter. Uh, the first one was, Well, the Manitoba Moose are loading up for a Calder run. The second one was, are you kidding me? We don't need any more fourth-line players. The third one, how does Chevy have a job? Embarrassing. West is basically wide open, window closing on Heli and PLD, and we are wasting our time on this? The fourth one, you can count me in on seeing more Jets games or Moose games if that's where he ends up this season because of this trade. Just ridiculous. You know, obviously that tells you that these people have never watched or even know who Vladislav Domestikov is. I can forgive some Jets fans that don't know who he is. You know, but a mainstream media member calling him a defensive forward and then the vitriol rolled in. Underwhelming offensive stats don't automatically make you a defensive forward. Domestikov is a player that will probably end up playing on the Jets' third line, but he's not a fourth line nor is he a plug. You know, the former... 2011 first rounder is not soft. He played on the OHL champion London Knights, so he has a winning pedigree and he understands the grind. 
Some Jets fans never cease to amaze me. Some just like to bitch. I'll bet 75% of them have no idea who Vladislav Domestikov is or have never seen him play, but they are crapping all over the trade. Then in capital letters I have PLEASE STFU and we all know what that means. Let's move on to number 4. Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connors play has been very disappointing for me lately because of too much perimeter play. You know the game changes at this time of year and they aren't adapting. Although in Kyle Connors case it's a little bit different because with him being a sniper he's always looking for those soft areas where Shifley can get him the puck on a one-timer or whatever. So he'll dart in and out in front of the net off to the side looking for a shot, which is fine. But when we don't have the puck, he has to show a little more compete, a uh, little more board battles too. I mean, he's a smaller guy. I don't expect him to be, you know, Nina Ryder. But he definitely needs to get more involved. In Ehlers' case, um, he's always... <laughs> Nick Ehlers is Nick Ehlers. He likes to get the puck. He's great at zone entries. He gets in. His head is always up. He's looking for that pretty play. I'd like to see him shoot more, but uh, right now he's struggling a bit. Uh, I don't have any doubt he'll get out of it, but right now he's not in. his play is not endearing to the coach, and uh, it's showing in his ice time. Number five. It was nice seeing the Gus bust out of the shop and rolling again in the Jets lineup this weekend. You know, he's a very smart player, and I like his game. Let's just hope he can stay healthy. And that's been the biggest thing with Gus this year. He finally made his breakthrough and made the team. And he's been injured a couple of times. And it, uh, you know, the Jets miss him. He's The thing I like about Gustafson is, and he's good to be your fourth line guy. He's good on face-offs. He might actually be one of the Jets' better face-off men. But the thing I like about Gus's game is he has a better offensive skill set than most people give him credit for. But his offensive game is hard to evaluate when he's been in and out of the lineup so often. Uh, number six was the poll question again. Yeah, about 88% of the fans thought that Chevy would make uh, around two trades, and that's what he did. So we'll move on to number seven. I'll bet my condo, and then in brackets I say, don't tell my wife, that Josh Morrissey will be the Jets' next captain. No doubt. Morrissey is having a career year, and you can see his leadership developing on the ice. Also, he seems to be in front of the microphones a lot in the post-game media scrums, and that's not easy, you know, especially when the team is struggling. Just ask Blake Wheeler. Um, Josh Morrissey has probably exceeded expectations. We all thought he was going to be a good player. You know, his offensive numbers are off the chart this year. You know, he might not repeat them again, but if you could get 55 to 60 points out of Josh, uh, your, your team's going to be in really, really good shape. He's a leader. He's wearing an A now. Um, I think uh, it's just uh, a matter of, uh, well, I would think this summer they'll, uh, they'll give him the C. And I can't think of a more deserving player than Josh. Number eight is my weekly update on the Winnipeg Ice. The Winnipeg Ice are still holding down the number one position in the latest Kia CHL top 10 rankings for the 2022-23 season. It looks like Winnipeg and Quebec will continue to battle for that number one spot, although Seattle has entered the fray and bumped into number two this week. The Ice won 11 straight before losing a couple on back-to-back -back games, you know, on their 10-game road trip, but they came home with an 8-2 and two record on the road trip. Not too shabby. Their record currently sits at 49-9-1. Wow. Moving on to number nine. Hallelujah. 
Adam Lowry's goalless drought is now over at 35 games, and it was actually a huge goal when he scored it. Edmonton had just scored to take a 3-2 lead on Saturday night, and the building went quiet. It wasn't quiet very long, though. It was 42 seconds later, and Lowry celebrated like it was New Year's Eve. I can't imagine the relief he must have felt at that time, getting that monkey off his back, but uh, well done. Big goal. He's off the schneid, and let's just hope he can keep it rolling. In number 10, I say, Nino Niederreiter was a key acquisition because he really fills a need this Jets team lacks. He's a skilled, straight-line player that shoots first and will go to the net. You know, in the three games he's played, he's already validated this analysis. He is a big-body player, and he uses it. The best part about this trade is he still has one more year on his contract at a very, very serviceable $4 million per season. To put this in perspective, Andrew Kopp is getting paid $5.625 million for the next five years. In number 11, I say, I don't miss Andrew Kopp one iota. I watch a lot of Detroit games, and the amount of money he makes is criminal based on his play. Stevie Eiserman doesn't make many mistakes, but he really whiffed on this one. Better them than us. And the thing that really is strange is, I was never a cop hater. I thought he played a perfect role on the left side of Adam Lowry. They work well together. But our mainstream media, there was at least three of our mainstream guys in this city, the Winnipeg media, that kept on trying to prop him up as a top six winger. It just drove me up the fucking wall. This guy is not a top six player unless your team is absolutely awful. Well, Detroit isn't exactly a great team there, and he can't even crack their top six, even with injuries. He got overpaid. Good on him. I have no problem with the player getting his coin. But could you imagine having that albatross of a contract on the Jets' books right now? I couldn't. I'm glad he's gone. Although I will say, if the Jets could have signed him to third-line money, I would have been glad to have him back. In number 12, this is more of an informational thought, but uh, I write, just a little FYI here. A lot of Jet fans were complaining that Chevy left a lot of available cap space on the table after the trade deadline. It was approximately $3.5 million. But what most fans don't understand is when the rosters expand, they can call up players from the Manitoba Moose, and that money does count towards the salary cap. Because of cap problems, there's a lot of teams, the Jets were in that boat last year, where they only carry 20 to 22 players instead of the maximum 23. You know, it's easy to sit there and, and, and say, we should trade this, we should do that, but the GM and the capologists have to you know carefully look at their roster and the money they spend. Um, you know, if a guy is goes on a long-term injury, that's that's one thing. But if he's one of these situations where he's out for, for a couple days and you got to call guys up, all that money comes into play. It's not as simple as like we do in our fantasy leagues. So I'll cut Chevy a bit of a break on this one. Like I say, most fans don't understand the inner workings of the salary cap and uh, the, the day-to-day business of, of the bean counters. So yeah, um, there was still money there to spend on the trade, but I, I can see why they didn't. Not a big deal to me. In number 13, we move on. 
According to MoneyPuck.com, the Winnipeg Jets have an 87% chance of making the playoffs. This number is, is very fluid. It changes every day. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to update this every week until they clinch a spot. And just to give you an example, yesterday morning they were at 87.9% to make it. So they dropped 0.9, basically one full percentage point in one day. You know, just with Colorado getting that one point against Seattle and Seattle getting two points. Right now, the one thing the Jets don't need to see is three-point games. It's, you know, what the teams are competing with. So basically, we need those games to be done in regulation and uh, no more three-pointers. Number 14 is my weekly question for Rick Bonus, Kevin Dayoff, or Mark Chipman. Of course, they don't answer these questions, but these are the questions I would ask if I had a chance. You know, sometimes I'm serious, sometimes I'm sarcastic, and sometimes I'm joking, and sometimes I'm just a dick. But last week, my hypothetical question was, this was for Rick Bonus, who was on your wish list when it comes to trade deadline acquisitions? And is there anybody on your old team, Dallas, that you would like who could be available? Well... Rick Bonus obviously had input on the acquisition of Vladdy Nemestnikov since he coached him a couple times, I would say six years in his times with uh, Tampa and Dallas. So I would say the question was asked and answered actually. And uh, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, he had input there and uh, probably liked him. So it was an easy, easy decision for Chevy. There's nothing, there's nothing better than getting feedback from you know, a, a coach or somebody knows the player, and uh, Chevy pulled the trigger. And I think Jet fans are going to be pleasantly surprised. In number 15, we look at the Jet special teams. And like I have written on the, uh, on the thought here, the info, the rule of thumb is if you can have the two numbers of your PK and your power play totaling at least 100%, you're in that acceptable range. So right now, if you total the Jets power play numbers and their penalty kill numbers, it adds up to 106, which is okay, just okay. The penalty kill dropped a couple percentage points, but you can thank the Edmonton Oilers for that. Uh, the Jets aren't the only team that have given up goals to the Oilers. Uh, the power play actually got a little bump this week. Uh, they actually scored a couple, but eh, they're in 12th place. They're still, in, they're basically in the top half of uh, power play percentage. So you can't complain even though their power play looks ugly as hell. It's overpass, overpass, don't shoot, don't shoot. Uh, Face-offs have been an embarrassment all year. You know, 48% as a team is just not acceptable. I know it's not the, the most important stat out there, according to some experts. But you know what? I always think it's nice to start with the puck. I'd rather have it than not have it. Moving on to number 16 is the Jets goaltending. Connor Hellebuck is sitting with a 27-19-2 record with a 2.62 goals against average, a 9-19 save percentage with three shutouts. David Riddick is sitting at 9-6, the 2.55 goals against, and a 9.08 save percentage with no shutouts. If I was being completely honest, I'd say it wasn't a banner couple weeks for our goaltenders. The last great game that Hellebuck had was that Ranger win when they stole that one 4-1 to in New York. Although I thought he was very good in the Oilers 7-5 loss, you can't uh, really fault him for those goals. It was, uh, I mean, the Oilers are going to score. We outscored them, so he, he got the win, but he made a 
quite a few big saves in that game. That that game could have been uh, 10-9. Uh, David Riddick, I think he's actually cost us a couple points in the last two weeks. Um, you know, with his contract, he's serviceable. He's okay. Um, I like him better than Comrie. But uh, overall, there's no complaints with the Jets' goaltending. goaltending. Uh, the goaltending hasn't cost them any games. It's been their offense that's cost them games. So basically, uh, goaltending's fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about them. Number 17 is the good, the bad, and the ugly this past week. Well, the good is the Jets broke their five-game losing streak. Uh, Adam Lowry finally scored after 35 games. And Morgan Barron actually scored after 20 games of not scoring. Uh, they both, you know, broke long goalless droughts. So that, that was good to see. Uh, Morgan Barron... You know, another guy, 20 games, that's that's too many games for a guy that's playing, you know, mostly on the third line. Uh, those guys got to get going, and actually they they both scored in the order win, so good on them. The bad this week, and I, I've harped on this for weeks, and I won't stop. The number of face-offs the Jets lose when they really need a win. You know, we, we blow 30 seconds for each power play going back to fish the puck back from Helly, and then bringing it back up ice. Um, got to win more offensive draws, start with the puck, that would help. And But the ones to me that are really, really tough is when, we'll say a team like the Oilers, they win the face-off, you know, when they're on their power play, and our PK can't win that draw, and they're sitting there for the whole, well, the full two minutes, if we're lucky, with possession. Uh, that's a lot of stress on the penalty kill. Um, these numbers got to get up. I would, I would hope to see David Gustafson in a lot more of those situations. Uh, Adam Lowry used to be our go-to guy in the face-off dot, and he hasn't been great this year. Kevin Stenland's been okay, and he is on the PK, so that helps. But uh, face-offs, to me, are still a sore spot with this team. And the ugly, oh boy, where do I start? The number of power plays the Oilers had in this home-and-home -home series with the Jets. You know, a couple of the penalties we took were sloppy. Uh, more than a couple were deserved. A couple I thought were soft calls. And a couple were absolute horseshit. That one, and I don't think it mattered in this game because this game was already basically over, but the penalty they called on Mark Shifley for goaltender interference when, that, when the net got knocked off in Edmonton on uh, Friday night was just crap. I mean... Darnell Nurse basically left his feet. He stood along the ice and took out Shifley's, the back of his legs and knocked him into the post. Like, I wish the, <laughs> I almost wish there was a coach's challenge for shitty penalty calls and each coach would need about five a game because these guys are clowns. The officiating in this league is at an all-time low. It's, it's even worse than it was last year, if that's even possible. But, uh, yeah, uh, you, can't take, you can't take penalties against the Oilers. And it's, I, I just get so pissed off watching how the, the Oilers whine and how the, the league babysits them because of their stars. Like, yeah, they have the best power play in the league, highest percentage. I'm not sure what they're at, with how many chances they get per game. But they sure do get an awful lot. And it's, for me, it's becoming tiresome. In number 18, you know... I got to give credit where credit is due. 
My personal whipping boy, Neil Pionk, has played pretty well lately, but on Saturday night he looked possessed. Now, he had a few struggles with Big Leon Dreisaitl, but then again, who doesn't? But the Oilers seemed to bring out the beast in him, and I thought he competed very well. And you know what? He wasn't the only one that struggled with Dreisaitl. I mean, our defensemen are on the small size, and even our bigger guys like Brendan Dillon and Dylan Sandberg have a hard time with uh, with Leon. He he he's a beast, and he's he is like he's he's big and he's skilled. He knows how to protect the puck, and basically you don't get it off him. You need two guys to get it off him. But uh, back to back to the whipping boy, um, Pionk has played actually pretty well the last couple of weeks. After I'm going to tell you to be honest, two seasons of crap play, horseshit play. He got that contract, and to me, he hasn't lived up to it. He hasn't he hasn't earned it. But if he can continue playing like this down the stretch and in the playoffs, good. We need that. Uh, he hasn't showed as much offense as I would like. I mean, we didn't sign him to be a defensive specialist, but I like when he gets owly and ornery with against the Oilers, and he really did ramp it up in the Saturday night game. So good for him. You know, like I said, I'll crap on him when he's shitty, and I'll praise him when he's good. Number 19 is interesting. So right now the Jets have a glut of fourth liners hanging around. And this is going to change when Pierre-Luc Dubois returns and probably when Mason Appleton returns from the IR. You know, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of rotation on the fourth line. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the other night Axel Johnson-Fialbi didn't play. Sam Gagne didn't play. Carson Kuhlman didn't play. Um, and when Mason Appleton comes back, I'm not sure that we even gift him a spot. Apple's one of my favorite third-line guys. I really like his game. And I was really happy when we got him back from Seattle. But he, once again, injuries have slowed his progress down this year. And he's not even close to being the Mason Appleton that we had last year, or the year before for that matter, uh, when I think that Appleton, Lowry, and Copra were one of the better third lines in the league. But uh, Coach Bones has got some, some toys to play with on, the, uh, you know, in the, on that fourth line and then the bottom six. I would still like to see... Um, Adam Lowry play with uh, Nemestikov. I like that. Uh, I don't, you know, actually, I like uh, I like Morgan Barron there too. So I think all the guys I mentioned, including Appleton, might have to fight for fourth line minutes. But like I said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Number twenty is interesting. Uh, Kevin Dayoff got his fair share of heat from the Jets fan base after the trade line was over, but not far behind was Mark Chipman. It seems these two now were forever linked as the shot callers with this team. For Mark Chipman, the bloom was certainly off the rose. And although 98% of Jets fans will acknowledge he brought NHL hockey back to Winnipeg, and they'll always love him for that, there are a lot of fans that think he's to blame for the play of this team. Well, then, to be honest, he is the owner, and the responsibility does, you know, it ultimately falls at his doorstep. It will be interesting to see what happens if the Jets shit the bed down the home stretch. Um, truer words have never been spoken. Uh, this team right now, they committed to the current roster after the trade deadline. Uh, a lot had to go into that, but a lot of it would be input from the owner. I mean, it's the, <laughs> he is the boss. I'm not going to call him the puppet master, but he is the boss. But uh, this team needed, this team needs to make the playoffs. And, and I don't know if they have to win around or do some damage. But after that fiasco last year, there's a lot of apathy in Winnipeg with the ownership, with the GM. I mean, 
if you want to be honest, what's this year 12 of Kevin Shovel Day off? And they've made it to the conference finals once, which was amazing. I think I maybe I might have even posted this on Twitter last week. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about Chevy, you can love him or hate him, but I'll guarantee you that there's 31 other GMs in the National Hockey League that wish they had as much Teflon coating as Chevy. Um, there's no doubt about it that Mark Chipman is ultimately very, very loyal to him, uh, which could be to the detriment of this team. And I think Chevy's going to be here for a while until the Jets' performance on the ice basically starts to affect the bottom line. And, uh, I mean, it already has. There's basically no waiting list for season ticket holders anymore. There was 10,000 at one time. Um, you know, we'll see what happens when the luxury suites come up for renewal. That's going to be very telling because that's big bucks. Season ticket numbers down. Attendance is down, but it's down everywhere. After the COVID, um, you know, those COVID years, uh, people like that uh, extra disposable income they had and maybe don't want to spend it on a hockey team that hasn't done anything since 2018. So... Uh, True North Sports and Entertainment has got to reevaluate this summer. There's no doubt, about, no doubt about it, and we'll see what happens. Anyway, that should wrap it up for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the podcast, or even if you don't like the podcast, send some comments my way. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to see me discuss outside of the random thoughts, fire them off to me on Twitter or send an email through the WinnipegHockeyTalk.com website. Uh, once again, uh, you can find us on Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podomatic, and of course, uh, the home, WinnipegHockeyTalk.com. For now, I want to say thanks, and see you again next week.